Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Isaac Sokolik, president of consulting firm Star CIO. Isaac is also an advisory board member of numerous companies, former CIO at McGraw-Hill and Businessweek, and the author of Driving Digital, the Leader's Guide to Business Transformation Through Technology. Thanks for the time, Isaac. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking with you today. You bet. I, I know we're going to have a great discussion because the, the topic of your book is core to the theme of the Vantic TV series. So this is going to be great. Awesome. So let's dive right in. Obviously, everybody is talking about digital transformation these days. You wrote the book on it. So what does digital transformation really mean to you and why are companies talking about it so much? Yeah, so, so I mean, most companies have to start thinking about what their future is going to look like three, five, seven years from now. Uh, you can feel it very quickly in the terms of how startups might be moving into your space. You can look at it from the impacts of new technologies and new capabilities, how they bring a new competitive atmosphere. Uh, you can think about it from a consumer experience perspective, new ways consumers have choices, uh, new ways that they're being presented products and services that are highly contextual. Um, these are the, the new ways, not only consumers, but businesses are making purchase decisions um, and how they're spending their time and how they're allocating resources. Um, and, you know, you know, businesses that aren't keeping up with that and thinking about how to shed how they ran in a, in a legacy mode where there was less competition, uh, maybe more traditional comp competitors, uh, and get into a more data-oriented, more, even more real-time world. Um, they tend to get fallen back and left behind. And in the book, I talk about uh, one of the industries that I helped out with in the 90s, the media industry that get hit with digital very quickly. And what you found there is, you know, from the time of the bust in 2001 um, through today, they've been on a downward spiral in terms of revenue, readership, advertising, every metric that's important to them. Um, and you're seeing that same thing happen in other industries, whether it's banking and how they have to think about a digital experience and move off of what uh, they currently serve customers in their branches. You have to think about healthcare in terms of taking costs out and providing better experiences to patients. So literally every industry is going through a rethinking of how they serve the end customer and how to leverage new technologies for a competitive advantage and how to use data. And if you're not moving fast enough, you're not thinking about that, you're not operationalizing it, you're gonna fall behind. And that's, that's really what the transformation is about going, uh, going across industries today. Interesting, you talked about the media industry and how for many, and if not most of the legacy media companies, the digital transformation hasn't happened fast enough or been successful enough, and they've been getting their lunch eaten by the new media companies, the Facebooks, the Axioses, and, and all these guys. It is, 
in general, are companies, so-called legacy companies, being successful with their digital transformation initiatives, or is it is it mostly just talk and and uh, and you know and not a lot of actual success in the market? What do you, what do you perceive is going on in the real world? Real world's in between those two extremes. I, you know, I think we know about some companies that we probably could put in the fail bucket or miss the window bucket. You know, the Kodaks of the world that. Could have been right there and then for you know a digital camera experience and 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 left that behind too early. Um, I, you know I think media is in a very troubled spot um, because of the nature of their product um, and and the competitive places to get news um, and information and media. Um, it becomes a little bit more difficult as you go into other industries. Uh, but but the reality is you know. Uh, it's something that is not going to be a complete hit in success. It's, it's not going to be a complete fail. It's going to be part of how businesses are transforming. I mean, look, Microsoft is transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could not be a Windows office inv- company. Um, they need to be, a, you know, a cloud and a services-based company. And they're doing the things internally to try to, to play in that space and compete with Google and compete with Amazon. And, and literally the same thing that's happening in other industries. You can look at Capital One in the banking industry and how they're making lots of inroads in digital. Uh, you can look in one of the under, other industries that I serve is in construction you know, so going from paper-based processes for managing a construction project to uh, construction projects that are 3D, 4D, 5D, using real-time information from the field to feedback the models, to take out change orders, to make uh, make things more safer for the construction workers, to collect mm-hmm. data from the foreman. Uh, lots of thing, uh, opportunities there for companies to do what they need to do, which is, you know, experiment. You know, this yep. is not a, uh, you need to have a vision of what your five to seven year plan is, but you need to experiment along the way. You need to pivot along the way. You need to drop things that are in your legacy environment that are no longer relevant. Uh, you need to change things that are too costly or too cumbersome. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we're going to be looking at an evolving landscape over the next decade. You know, some industries faster and some slower. Um, but it's certainly going to be become more competitive. Um, and I, that's what I see. Interesting. Do you, Isaac, do you happen to have your book handy? I do. Let's, this let's is, this let's, is the let's book. Take a look. Let's do the uh, book one. Driving digital. Um, this, you know, people ask me, when did I start the book? And I started it probably about 10 years ago when I started blogging uh, mm-hmm. and speaking and realizing that I enjoyed and it was important for me to uh, explain and teach people what I knew. Uh, the book is really a culmination of that. I felt that I had lived transformation um, industry-wise 20 years ago when I started in media. Uh, my roles in CI- as a CIO have always been in transformation. So mm. take companies that never had a strong uh, capability in technology, uh, turn them around, build digital-oriented consumer products, build uh, uh, products for uh, data and analytics, uh, transformed to subscription-oriented businesses. And what I found was, even though I worked in different industries and they had different problems and the speed by which transformation was a little bit different, I was applying relatively similar uh, processes across them around data, around agile, around DevOps, around how to manage portfolio to take costs out, 
about really building a customer experience and product development program and about changing the culture. And that's essentially what you get out of the book. Is there from the book or from your own experience, is there a standard sort of process that you recommend or a set of steps that a company would follow to try to work through their digital transformation? Because you just mentioned a bunch of sort of possibilities of things you could do, but where, you know, what, what does a company do? Where do they start? Is there an order to it? The real, the real order really starts with looking at what, you know, from a strategic view, what are the, what are the burning opportunities and what are the burning fires? You, you need to have some semblance of strategy, some semblance of priority when you go into this. Um, as you evolve a transformation program, it almost always grows in terms of the number of initiatives and it almost always uh, gets more and more people involved. But because it's a change program at its heart, you really want it to start with the people, processes, and products, really starting with products and, and, and end customers uh, that are going to really make the most impact. Um, and ideally, things where you have growth opportunity, um, it's really hard to do a digital transformation when you're just trying to take cost out or revitalize uh, an old operation. So you really want to go after some place where there's growth and opportunity in markets that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you hit that strategy, then I do find some common themes. Um, how you apply them isn't necessarily the same in every organization. Um, every organization, I think, needs some form of agile process. I think it needs to be iterative. I think the feedback is very important. I think it breaks organizational silos in terms of how technologists, business people, operations, marketing, finance all work together. Um, so I think that's really the heart of most transformation programs. It's chapter two of the book, because I think without a real agile mindset and culture, it's really hard to get things to change. Uh, and then and then there's a lot of things that fall out after that. You know, um, at some of my businesses that are very data oriented, we go right into becoming a data driven organization. So how do you take analytic capabilities and provide that to the organization? For those that have very large legacy systems and maybe uh, some high costs around their legacy systems or they're just not performing well. We go right into cloud uh, migrations and DevOps programs to really stabilize how the organization is running. Um, and then, you know, almost all organizations need some form of portfolio management. They don't have a, a complete, you know, runway of cash to go invest into these programs. So they need to find ways to, you know, prioritize, figure out where to take costs out, figure out what the resource levels they need to do. And so those, those are the foundation programs that I think every organization's putting into their programs. There's some other underlying capabilities. I think every organization that's doing this is investing more in technology than they were three to five years ago. Um, and so that's where I think cloud uh, becomes very important. I also think low code platforms become very important in there as well, because we never have enough skill or staff to go build everything that we need to do. Uh, we still have to maintain applications that were developed five years ago while we're building the new world for us. Um, and we have to find ways to do this more efficiently, uh, whether it's putting an MVP and minimal viable product out very quickly and testing it in market, all the way up to how do I make incremental improvements based on how the feedback comes back. So lots of different tools and techniques to do that in a competitive way. And um, that's a lot of the uh, topic that I do in my blog and, and also in the book. Excellent. Well, you've given me a, a whole laundry list of topics to dive uh, further, further into here in the next few minutes. Awesome. Before we do that, I'm, I'm interested in, 
do you have any any uh, real world examples of companies or organizations that are that are doing a, a successful digital uh, transformation that you can talk about? Yeah, so there's you know I, I run a company today called Star CIO. And our entire platform is about helping companies implement their digital transformation program. And so all the things I just talked about, agile, data-driven organization, uh, portfolio management, DevOps, those are the things that we do. And we do it in the form of advisory consulting and workshops. Uh, one of our clients is a company called Charity Navigator. It's a nonprofit. Okay. It's a very small company. Um, they came to me with a proposition of, uh, we used to be the watchdog in the charity space. We used to look at accounting files mm. day in, day out to make sure that charities were uh, legitimate and spending their money wisely. Uh, we're doing it today for about 9,000 charities, and we want to multiply that out by tenfold. We want to be mm. rating 90 to 100,000 charities over the next couple of years. Uh, we want to be able to rate them on more data than we do today. Uh, we want to rate them more frequently. Um, and we need to do this at scale um, and at a reasonable cost because we're a nonprofit ourselves. Right. And so we've been working on taking what is a fundamentally sound process for how they rate charities and looking at not only how to scale it in terms of volume, but also look at how to scale it in terms of the data that they look at and that they analyze. It's a true transformation sure. program because as um, they get more versatile, um, they'll be able to rate more charities. Uh, there's very high donor activity on their website, so they're going to serve more donors with more places that they can go uh, do their charitable giving um, and be more than just a watchdog, really be a consultant to a donor in terms of places they might be interested in, in helping out. Hmm. So very interesting, very different type of organization. Um, and we're in the midst of doing things like putting data flow technologies in so we can process more data, um, expanding their databases so that it can handle lots more different types of data, uh, building APIs out so that there's more and different ways others can consume their data. Uh, we're building dashboards out internally and externally so you can see more of this data. So all the things I talked about earlier are exactly what this company is doing. And like I said, it's, it's a small charity. Um, it's a small number of people. They still have the same challenges with legacy systems. They have the same challenges um, getting people to think differently. Um, and they have to change. They have to do more and different things than they've been doing the last 10 years. Really interesting. Great, great example. Great example. Uh, very, very cool. So to touch on some of those themes and some of them you mentioned earlier, one, one thing you brought up was the notion of becoming more real time. Yeah. How does, you know, how do you feel the notion of, of becoming a real-time business relates to digital transformation initiatives? Obviously, the topic is, is close to the theme of, of this uh, series, which is called the real-time enterprise. So since you brought it up, I'm interested in, in the notion of the relationship between these two. Yeah, so you have to look at every industry a little bit different and interpret real-time appropriate for where that industry is. I think there's some that are inherently real-time already, you know, financial services being one of them. Uh, very competitive in terms of how fast they put information out where people can make financial decisions, uh, particularly in markets. I, I think the entire IoT landscape uh, is a game changer when it comes to real-time. So thousands of sensors in a, you know, in a construction um, 
uh, operation to tell uh, management how things are operating and how to make yeah. improvements. Um, how to provide uh, improved safety, how to maintain a building or a bridge um, more safely than they've ever done before. I think in healthcare, I think, you know, there's life and death decisions, there's uh, delays, there's costs that can be impacted by this, the, the data that they're collecting uh, and presenting it in such a way that people, again, people have to make decisions around these things. Um, I think in advertising, I mean, I think the entire robo advertising is a very competitive space uh, in terms of what's the best advertisement to show people. Um, even in news, I mean, if you take news, going back to the original example, newspapers delivering news daily to new, delivering news hourly on their website to I better compete with Twitter when the crowd can find news better than I can. Um, and what's newsworthy and what do my readers uh, want to see faster through my channel than other thing uh, than through other channels. So I think, you know, the pace of going to real time is different in every industry. I think the competitive nature and the opportunity is a little bit different. I think the first thing is, you know, organizations have to think about, you know, what's the speed that they have to be able to make decisions to present information. What's the competitive landscape around that um, and change their orientation from things that we naturally thought of as batch processing. Yep. I'm going to wait till the paper is ready to go out in the morning and then hit send it out to how do I stream more information to my end users? Yep. Right on. I couldn't agree more. So relating related to speed is another topic that you write and blog a lot about, and that's agility. Uh, how can companies increase their agility overall? What, what, what's, what's the thought process there? Well, look, Agile's been around as a process for over a decade. Um, technology organizations have increasingly adopted that process to be able to go from longer term development cycles that were prone with delays and poor performance in terms of project execution and getting it down to a process that's delivering new capabilities every sprint, every couple of weeks and using feedback to readjust priorities. Now, I think the big opportunity for most organizations is to stop thinking of it as a technology process. It's a collaborative process. It's a business process. Um, I ran my entire IT organization as a CIO using agile principles. Um, I think many organizations are starting to think about uh, how do you have marketing sit on a scrum team? Um, how does finance sit with the sales team and think about their sales funnel in a more agile process in terms of making decisions and priorities around leads and selling. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a, just a completely different way of thinking. Um, it takes you out of the mindset that I have to know where I'm going to be three to six months from now and puts you in the mindset of what do I need to focus on in the next couple of weeks? How do I forecast better? So I know where I'm going to be over the next six weeks and then ultimately on how to build roadmaps out. Uh, it takes, uh, people who have or projects or initiatives that sometimes had to go across organizational silos to get something done. So I'm going to bring a new product to market. I need somebody from legal and finance to help me with that. I need somebody from marketing to help with a go-to-market strategy. I need some technologists to build some technology around that. Those are four different groups. Put them on a team or multiple teams to work together through this. Let them all understand the objectives, have a shared understanding what the next set of things that they need to work on. Um, and what you see is it becomes more market-driven 
than um, hypothesis driven, right? I think today I want to build a product out and it looks like these eight screens and you start building them out and then you find out that's not what your end users want. And instead you're going to build one screen out and maybe show it to 5% of your population and say, am I on track with this? That's the okay. notability. <laughs> Interesting. So it sounds like you're not, you're not talking just generically about how to become a more agile business in, in, the, you know, in the general sense, but you're literally recommending companies implement you know, a scrum agile process, an actual process that began with uh, you know, the rapid development of applications, but then, but then is now being extended across uh, marketing and through other parts of an organization. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's, there's different processes on site of Agile. We, we think in terms of Scrum, which is this notion of, you know, sign up and commit at the beginning of a sprint and deliver at the end of the sprint. But operating teams um, tend to look at Kanban, which is more of a, a queue of activities. I've implemented Kanban in marketing. It usually has a funnel of activities coming in and must constantly prioritize uh, there are different resources to go and execute against that. So there, there's different processes that you can build underneath Agile, but at the heart of it is getting multidisciplinary teams to collaborate, think through execution on short-term increments, um, and use that as a building block to think through how do you execute on a longer-term roadmap. Yeah, make, makes perfect sense. So another topic you brought up earlier, and I know you also write mm -hmm. and blog about a fair bit, is, is the notion of DevOps and the relationship between DevOps and digital transformation. Maybe since not, not all uh, listeners are, are technical, explain the concept of DevOps a bit and then talk about its relationship to, to digital transformation from your perspective. Oh, I guarantee everybody on this call knows the problems that DevOps has tried to solve for in IT. I mean, we think about, you know, long cycle times in terms of things that you required. I put a ticket in, it's taking IT forever to resolve it. We're being plagued by lots of issues, um, uptime issues or performance issues. Um, we have a great dev team. They're starting to build products out, but they can't get them deployed into our data center or into the mm -hmm. cloud. Um, so these are the types of problems that people have recognized that need a different way of working and a different mindset. And what you don't see is what, what was happening underneath the hood. You had two different organizations, a development group that's trying to do things really quickly, be agile, do changes, run things really quickly. Uh, and then you had an operating team that's charter was completely different. It was keep the lights on, keep things super stable. We all know the way we keep things stable is we don't change things. We make yeah. it harder to change things. And so what DevOps tries to do is to bring those two teams together with a common set of processes that say, number one, both are important. We can't have agility without stability. Stability with ag agility also doesn't work. Um, it brings uh, a new mindset in terms of how an engineer is going to help a developer be successful with their changes. Um, and those are things like, how do I build monitoring into the application and security into the application upfront? and not wait till the end of the process to think through those things. What kinds of infrastructure do you need upfront to make this project successful? It also takes the developers helping the operating team at the same time, right? So how do we automate the delivery? This is no longer mm. 10 people and 30 steps. 
to go push an application from somebody's laptop onto a server. This is an automated set of steps um, governed by an application that's going to say here's when and how when somebody checks code into an environment and there's a good change there and it passes all of our testing protocols, we can go push this out to testing environments so our testers can look at it, our, our, our internal users can test it, uh, eventually shrinking the delivery times in terms of how fast we push changes out the, to the environment. Again, getting back to that real time, mm -hmm. I want to build something quick, I want to test it with users, I want to get it out to market fast. Um, and that's what DevOps attempts to uh, accomplish for organizations. Hmm, interesting. Do you think, uh, is this something that enterprises have embraced aggressively or is this still in the relatively early days? I, I think this is something, quite frankly, startups have embraced aggressively and growing mm -hmm. um, SaaS companies and technology companies have embraced. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, like Agile, Agile was adopted at startups 10, 12 years ago. It took the enterprises a little bit longer to figure out whether and why and how to adopt it. Um, I think the same thing is happening in DevOps. Um, they have, um, you know, they might have cloud and they might be open to cloud. They might be open to automation, which is a key theme of DevOps programs, but it's going to take them a little bit longer to figure out how to align their organization, how to realign resources, what new skill sets they need uh, to be able to run DevOps programs. And I think that's actually an early transition. Um, and I also think the the vendors out there are starting to help with that. I'm not talking just about, you know, the Jenkins and the Travis's of the world. These are technologies that actually help implement aspects of DevOps. But a lot of new capabilities are coming in and saying, we're building DevOps inside. And so you get a new platform and a new application. You can do all the things that you need to do within that application. And then bundled in is how do you deploy this into an environment and scale it and manage it. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, speaking of building things quickly, I know you also talk and write a lot about low code, no code, so-called high productivity application platforms. What's your, what's your thought on that? Is that, is that really the trend? Is that, is this the future of application development? It's, it's definitely a future part of it. You know, I started with low code about 20 years ago. Um, my organization was building customer facing software. And what that really meant was IT had almost no time to focus on internal enterprise needs, uh, workflow needs. I, I was frightened by the number of spreadsheets and emails people were using and sending around to solve a problem. And so I found some early stage low code platforms to actually go out and build end to end applications that allowed doing these workflows. Um, that uh, that industry has evolved significantly, particularly over the last five years. Um, Forrester covers it, Gartner covers it. Um, there's a good number of different types of platforms that enable you to build and support applications faster and cheaper. Um, and, and the key word is not just building them, but also supporting them. Um, they're, they aim at different types of applications that you might want to build. So if you think about, I got to maybe build an internal mobile experience that's going to connect to eight different enterprise systems, a relatively difficult thing to do all the different connections. There are platforms out there to do those things. Uh, you might have a lot of reporting that you want to consolidate and you want to offer a self-service reporting cap capability. There are platforms to go out and do those things with low code and in real time. 
Um, there's event processing uh, technologies out there. Um, so streams of data coming in, how do I process that in real time? Um, there's platforms to go out and do those things. So, you know, as a business in an IT organization, there's going to be places where you have to build more applications than you can actually handle with your yep. staff. You're not going to go hire 30% more people. You don't have the ability or not every organization has the ability to go hire the, you know, the top grade engineers that can go build things from the ground up. And these low code platforms aim to make development groups and business teams more productive by building and supporting these supporting these applications yeah is there any business in the world that doesn't have twice as many applications they want to build than they actually have the capacity to do like that, uh, that's uh, the way of the world these days right yeah you know, that, that's the question I normally ask CIOs when I talk to them and say look you know do you have more demand in your pipeline than what you can support and all the hands raise and I said well how are we going to fix that as a, as an industry? You know, what are some of the yeah. things now, agile can go a certain yeah. distance mm -hmm. and DevOps can go a certain distance and so we can put portfolio in place uh, so they make better decisions on what to invest in. But at some point we have to invest our throughput to be able to put more technology out and reduce the cost to be able to support these things. Um, and we have to also change our business mindset a little bit in that not everything needs a complete proprietary implementation, right? So when I could take advantage of best practices embedded into a platform and put a, an application out quickly and get feedback on it, that's a lot more palatable than letting someone think through what they think is the optimal experience that might take them three or four months of research and three or four months of design before they even start getting pens down and building something out. Um, and then by the time they do that, they built something that's so proprietary. Yeah, you got to go custom build this thing. So a lot of low code platforms help bridge that collaboration, look at what the capability is, look what it does easily, the, uh, you know, a, a review the vendor, have they done a good job building best practices into their platform? And is it applicable to the types of applications that you need to build? And then if it is, go and do POCs and pilots to prove it out, right? Yeah. Prove yourself that you can move faster, you're building experiences that people want and go and run to the races with it. Yep. Yep. Really interesting. Couldn't agree more. So you, you know, you, uh, your background is from what I'd call the CIO perspective. Uh, but you're, and you write a lot about digital transformation and speak on that topic. I presume that means you feel that the CIO and the IT side should own digital transformation initiatives in the business. Uh, what, what about the operation side or, or the business side? That's a great question. Look, I think first and foremost, the CEO really needs to own it. It's really rebuilding the company. Um, you're gonna have to change the mindset from the first person who you hired to the last person you just hired from the person at the top of the totem pole to the bottom. Um, the CEO needs to help endorse the strategy, has to help get in, you know, in the change process, particularly with laggards in the organization that might be dragging their feet, but also becoming an, 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 a, you know, a hero to the ones that are really pushing the organization and help to evolve you know, what the incentive programs are and how to get more people involved with it. So ultimately, I do think it starts with the CEO, but I think if, you know, if I had to pick the first person they look at to help execute on the vision, I believe it's the CIO. Um, they have vantage point of how to discern 
what types of processes, what types of skill sets, what types of technologies are going to be most required for it. They've, uh, if you haven't had a CIO who's got their chops in being able to execute projects with or without Agile, uh, you're going to have a problem there anyway. So, I mean, chances are if you're doing a transformation program, you need a CIO who knows how to keep the lights on and change their programs, but also accelerate and deliver programs on time um, and to maintain the scope that people are looking for. Um, I think in terms of breadth of how uh, an organization operates through change, I think the CIO has the most of visibility in it. They certainly need to bring new skill sets into the program. They certainly need some good lieutenants. If you're building a lot of user experience into the fourfold, you're going to need a head of product or a head of digital to help you build out those experiences. Um, if you have a lot of compliance or you're building a lot of data-oriented processes, you might think about a chief data officer um, that is part of this program. So there's certainly some new skills, some new C-level roles that you need in there, but I think this is the place where CIOs have to step up and be that partner to the CEO and to the board and make that transformation happen. Really interesting. Yeah, thank you for that perspective. Let's turn briefly to, to technology uh, itself. Are there any, is there any particular area or field of technology? Obviously, companies are being hit, you know, from many directions now with, with new, uh, new technologies. Any particular area that, that interests you or you think will have a bigger impact than others? I, you know, look, I think the big three, AI, blockchain, and IoT are going to impact industries some more than others. Um, it's hard to talk about digital without thinking through what at least one of those technologies might do in your industry. I think as a broad stroke, which of the three probably has a more universal, this is probably going to affect everybody is AI. Hmm. Um, you know, AI is a, is a catch term. It actually captures lots of different algorithms uh, and capabilities, some that are fairly mature uh, in even in commercial uses, things like recommendation engines, you know, you go to Netflix and it tells you what movies you're going to like or Amazon, what other books that you want to read. Um, natural language processing is a technology that's still evolving, uh, but has been around for a long time. Um, even deep learning where you're getting a lot of the, uh, you know, the, a lot of the media is covering some of the amazing things that the technology companies are able to do with it. You know, the basis of that is neural networks that were discovered in the 60s. You know, the big game changer is really a combination of cloud computing, um, as well as off the shelf algorithms, things like TensorFlow that allowed data scientists and engineers to program these things at scale. Um, and the real heart of it is figuring out, you know, what problems to throw at it? How do you get your data organized in such a way that you can actually experiment with this? How do you evolve the responses? Um, so those are the things that are challenging. But um, when you look at the underlying DNA, it's really about how do you leverage data? How do you leverage algorithms? How do you pair algorithms up with people? And so you can put the word AI on it and some of it is AI and some of it's really deep learning and real hardcore stuff, but it's really about making algorithms work with people to get a competitive edge with your data. Ah, so that, that last point you touched on, I think is really important. So, you know, a lot of the discussion around AI, which drives people crazy is this notion of a computer systems replacing people and millions of jobs being lost. But it sounds like your thesis is about these increasingly intelligent systems working with people. You know, we, we talk a lot about human machine collaboration. Yeah. Does, that, does, it, does, it, does that resonate with you? 
it, it completely right. First is, you know, we've been using technology to enhance and in some case replace jobs since the industrial age. I mean, that, that's part of the function of technology. AI is another piece of that. It will be a game changer uh, in terms of the types of jobs it's going to replace. Uh, but it, you know, if you've ever worked with an AI system, it's not a perfect black box. It's really something that needs to be paired with human judgment. It needs to be think, thought of as a way to enhance uh, and make a person smarter based on a machine's ability to see patterns that a person or a group of people can't easily see. Uh, and when you think of it that way, what it's really doing is it's going to change how the organization operates and what skills it needs. If you go back to that charity navigator example that I gave earlier, mm -hmm. Um, it's going to change how their analysts work. I mean, they're going to be smarter about the charities that they cover. They're going to be experts in the field in terms of helping donors make better donor decisions. They're not going to look at tax forms the same way they used to. We can have machines look at those things and, and derive um, different formulas and different analytics, um, be able to look at you know, a mission statement or a po privacy policy and derive what the actual meaning is behind it. So this, this is augmented technology. Um, and in some cases, yeah, there might be some holistic replacement of an entire job function. You know, I think about, you know, what's trucking going to be like in this country in 20 years? Are we going to have, you know, people driving trucks around? I mean, it's hard for me to see that. I think that's going to be really interesting area for autonomous vehicles. Uh, but will it be completely zero intervention? Look, you know, pilots are still in airplanes and they're doing a fraction of the flying that they used to. Um, and there's a good example of where there's augmented algorithms and intelligence helping them do the things that they need to do. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, well, getting close to the end, I know you, you've uh, tweeted recently about challenging the sacred cows. Mm. And I'm interested, is there a particular area where you uh, would like to sort of challenge conventional wisdom, maybe call bullshit on some, uh, mm -hmm. on some area where people tend to uh, believe a certain direction? Well, you know, I write the post on challenging sacred cows really about the the debate internally about uh you know this is the way we used to do things and this is how we used to do things and this is why it works and and it's amazing it shows up in different formats it shows up you know at different levels in the organization and you know i'm you know there's pieces of your legacy and your history that are really important but it's really important to have that culture of asking why and is this relevant? And what do customers want today? So really those posts around really changing the culture about asking questions and challenging how you used to do things with new ways of thinking. Um, now, when I think about like, at, on the other hand, all the technology that's out there, all the capabilities that are out there, you know, you look at any single capability, whether it's AI or big data or IOT, you're gonna find this massive vendor landscape of stuff out there. So everybody knows, you know, they, you need their help and uh, being able to implement these things. And, you know, AI is, is pretty interesting in that area because, you know, what I've seen a lot of is, is you're buying a product or service and they're marketing the AI first, right? We have AI inside, we're smarter, we're faster, we're cheaper, whatever it is, but we have AI inside, therefore you need to go out and buy us. And, you know,
you know, it's nice to have AI inside. I think in some cases it's very relevant and important. But, you know, if you're seeing organizations sell that before they're telling you what problem they're solving, you know, what impact it's going to have, where they've had success, what the boundaries are of, that, of their particular approach. Um, is it focused on a single industry? How clean the data needs to be to be able to do it? I mean, there's a half a dozen factors I just rattled off before yeah. AI inside really works. <laughs> uh, so think about whether that service is what you want and then learn about how to make AI effective in it. Right on, right on. Well, Isaac, let's, uh, let's end with maybe some thoughts or key takeaways or tips you have for a business leader who's trying to drive a real-time digital transformation in her business. Yeah, I, I think the first tip is get started. You know, I've seen too many organizations step on their feet trying to think through the strategy. I think strategy is evolving. I think it's just important to pick a starting point and a priority to work on and then get people started on it. Um, number two, I think, you know, the faster you can start adopting agile practices, mindsets, collaborations, um, finding the right people or getting some help from the outside that will coach your teams to adopt those frameworks. I think that's key to any organization being able to execute a transformation program. Um, I think, you know, um, you know, we didn't talk a ton about technology here, but I do think technology does matter. Um, I think if you look at, you know, a legacy technology that still does a pretty good job, the question is, is it user experience? Is it productive? Is it smart? Is it collecting the right data for you? And, uh, you know, the, I think technology really is important in this matter. And the last thing is um, don't underestimate the culture. What I said before, you know, there, you know, there's going to be some people that are early adopters of what you're trying to accomplish. You need to make them heroes in your organization. The harder part is getting the next wave of people to participate. You got to address your incentive programs to make them uh, feel like they're gaining something as being part of that program. Um, and you need that CEO and that leadership really to step in to handle people who are laggards in it. So I think those are the four pillars I would key off of at the end of this. Excellent. Well, Isaac, you're my hero. And thank you so much for joining us today for this great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Great conversation. And uh, if you want to reach me, I'm NY Ike on Twitter. Uh, again, it's uh, Driving Digital is the book. You can find it on Amazon. And uh, if you uh, want to talk to me about how I can help you with your transformation programs, it's starcio.com. Thank you. Absolutely. And your great blog at blogs.starcio.com. Again, his book, Driving Digital, The Leader's Guide to Business Transformation Through Technology at your favorite bookseller. And of course, you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. Thanks so much, Isaac. Thank you. You're welcome. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.